My wife, uh, Sarah, and I have been married now for 12 years, although it really doesn't feel like it. As they say, time really does fly when you're having fun. <laughs> but what many of you may not know is prior to meeting Sarah, I was, in fact, married before. And that relationship, of course, or that, that marriage resulted in divorce due to unfaithfulness and a breakdown in relationship. Prior to that, after becoming a Christian, I found myself single for what felt like six incredibly long years. Now, I just want to take a moment just to acknowledge those amongst us that are content in their singleness. As Paul in the Bible says, this is a good thing. However, for me, I just always wanted to be married. And I always wanted to have children. But at the time, it just felt like this was never going to happen. I remember going to weddings, and as the bride and groom would walk down the aisle, the old folk in the church would give me the elbow jab, and they'd say, you next. <laughs> Conversely, I remember going to um, um, funerals, and as the coffin would come down the aisle, I'd elbow jab those old folk, and I'd say, you next. <laughs> I am, I am joking, I am, I am. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> the point is, as the saying goes, Hindsight is a wonderful thing. And I realize as a single man in my brokenness that I wasn't ready for marriage. And even when I was first married, I still really wasn't ready for marriage then either. Many of you will remember that classic film from the 90s, Jerry Maguire, where Jerry, played by Tom Cruise, tells Dorothy, played by Rennie Zellweger, those romantic words. You complete me. Does anyone remember that? Now, I tried that line once or twice in the 90s, and it never seemed to work as well for me as it did for Jerry. <laughs> the truth is, for many of us that are single, we believe like Jerry and I did, that when we meet our other halves, that they're going to make us feel complete. Almost as though we're half people walking around looking for our soulmates to make us feel whole. The reality is, when two broken people come together, they do produce a whole, but it tends to be a whole lot of insecurity. This is why our discipleship to Jesus is so important, because it not only helps us grow in our relationship with him, but it also helps us grow in our relationship with ourselves, as well as with each other. Sometimes we place an unhealthy expectation upon our partners, spouse, and friends for them to make us feel happy and complete without realizing that Jesus is the only one that can make us feel whole. The French theologian Blaise Pascal once said this. He said, every human being has a God-shaped hole in their heart which only God can fill. In my previous marriage, we both looked to each other to fill that God-shaped hole in our hearts very unsuccessfully. But in addition to that, it would be incredibly short-sighted of me not to see the role my insecurities played in the demise of that relationship. I couldn't see it at the time because I was angry with God. I blamed him. And in my pride, I would say things like, why would you allow this to happen? Yet I wasn't prepared to look at myself. I wasn't prepared to look in my heart. And of course, unless we attend to the matters of the heart, they're destined to follow us wherever we go, whichever relationship we find ourselves in. 
I didn't know this at the time. The only thing I knew was my heart was broken. And it was at that point that I stumbled across that well-known psalm, Psalm 51, which says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And it's the heart that we're going to look at today. Now, I think it's important to state at this point, if you're here in the auditorium or if you're watching this online at home, this talk is directed directly at you and me. Unlike mask wearing during COVID, no one is exempt. If you have a physical heart that beats inside your chest, then this talk applies to you. And so with that, I'd like to start today by asking a question which may appear to have a very obvious answer. And the question is, what is the heart? Well, the heart I'm referring to is that hidden dimension of our human experience. We generally know very little about it. Some refer to it as soul, others as spirit. In his fantastic book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard refers to it as the center or the core in which every component of the self owes its proper functioning. I think what Willard is saying here is that it's the operating system within us that drives everything we do. The American pastor and theologian Tim Keller puts it like this. The biblical understanding of the heart is that it is the seat of the thing you trust the most, that you're committed to the most. It's the thing you hope in the most and captures your imagination. It's the center of your attention. Whatever those things are, they are the things that will affect your mind, will, and emotions. And of course, within society today, we often use phrases like a big heart to describe someone that is kind or generous, or a heart of stone referring to someone that lacks sympathy. Or as my grandmother would say from the Caribbean, me feel it in my heart, <laughs> meaning something or someone has moved her heart. Most cultures in the world today have some form of expression that points towards that hidden dimension of our human existence when describing the heart. But our hearts are also very complex and subtle and at times deceitful. These aren't my words. These are God's words in one of the many conversations he had with the young prophet Jeremiah when he said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? These are very harsh yet true words. However, God is the only one that truly understands the deceit that lives within our hearts. And yet despite this, it's our hearts that God is after. Not the facade that we present to him and to others. The real you. The authentic you. God is at war for the love of your heart and mine. David in the Bible eventually realized this too. 
It's believed that Psalm 51 was actually written by David, which is actually a psalm of repentance. The word repentance derives from the Greek word metanoia, which literally means a change of heart. And David's change of heart came following a series of atrocious crimes he'd committed in the Old Testament. It all started when he lusted after and forced another man's wife to sleep with him. Her name was Bathsheba. Her husband's name was Uriah. Bathsheba became pregnant with David's child, and instead of David taking responsibility for his actions, he tried to convince Uriah to sleep with his wife at that particular time so that Uriah would believe the child was his. When that didn't work, David then had Uriah killed, and then to add insult to injury, he then took Bathsheba and made her one of his wives. David had a heart problem. It was as hard as stone as he lacked empathy for Bathsheba and disregard for her husband. He had no remorse or regret over the crimes he had committed. His heart was filled with pride and it needed to be broken. And so God sent another prophet by the name of Nathan to point out the error of his ways. David broke down and repented as he realized his heart had been deceived. And it's believed that it's from this place of brokenness that David wrote the words, a broken and contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. It's an amazing story of murder, deceit, and a whole lot of other things. It sounds like a BBC drama, doesn't it? It's definitely um, worth checking out, and you can find the complete story in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. This story highlights the fact that our hearts can sometimes deceive us into believing that our actions are justified until we allow God to point out the error of our ways and allow him to shine his light in those dark places in our hearts. Our hearts not only deceive us into committing those obvious sins, such as murder, rape, and adultery, the kind of things or the kind of crimes we see regularly within society today, but I hasten to add, as we've just seen, it's these exact same crimes that were committed by David, who was considered a man after God's own heart. Being a Christian doesn't exclude us from the deceit that lives within our hearts. It might look different, perhaps a little more sophisticated, and in some cases, it's the same. But our hearts can also deceive us into committing sins on a daily basis too. And by sin, referring to the Bible, I'm talking about those words and actions that cause unrighteous offense or harm towards ourselves, others, and God. We see it in those microaggressions when an indirect comment is spoken about a person of color. We see it when we behave in a passive-aggressive manner and when challenged about it, we deceive ourselves when we say, I didn't mean it in that way. And we see it in our relationships. Anger, guilt, shame, and fear often live within the hidden dimensions of our hearts. And it can just be one word spoken that touches on any one of those emotions to cause us to withdraw or disconnect 
or in some extreme cases, cause us to inflict physical and verbal pain with the words we speak in response. In her Emotionally Healthy podcast, Jerry Scazzaro said this, unprocessed emotions don't die. They just get buried alive. Why? Because God created them for us to pay attention to them. If we don't pay attention to them, they will find a way out. I wonder if we're paying attention to those unprocessed emotions that live within our hearts. And I wonder if in our sin, we're causing unrighteous offense and harm towards ourselves, others, and God. Following David's epic sin, he realized the only way not to repeat the sins of the past was to grant God and access all areas past to his heart. And we see this in another psalm that was written by David, which is also on the screen behind me, Psalm 139, where he said, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a very vulnerable prayer that David prayed. As he understood, the only way to ensure his heart was right before God was to grant him complete access to it. And that brings us to our second question today, which is, can God access your heart? The reality is, we all have areas in our hearts that God hasn't accessed yet. But the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He loves us deeply. And it doesn't matter how long we've been following Jesus, we still really have no idea just how much he loves us. He loves us so much. He loves and respects us so much that he never forces his way into our hearts. He simply waits to be invited. But just like our Jesus at the door evangelism card, this is the card that our evangelism team used to go into the city of Nottingham to invite strangers into relationship with Jesus. You'll notice that the handle to the door only exists on the inside of the door. If we want to grant God access into those hidden dimensions of our hearts, we are the ones that are going to have to invite him in. So how do we do it? How do we practically go about inviting God into those hidden dimensions into our hearts? Well, I am so glad you asked. <laughs> Paul, in his letter to the Romans, talked about our need for God's grace. And by God's grace, he's talking about God's unmerited favor and kindness towards us, especially when we sin, which I'm sure you will agree is a huge relief to the human nature. It certainly is to mine. But Paul makes a very interesting comment in, at the start of Romans 6 when he said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that God's grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If Paul said that we've died to sin, it means when it comes to sin, our hearts should look something like this. 
The reality is, as we go about our daily business, there's often something in our hearts to cause it to spike. Anger, guilt, shame, fear, and the list goes on. And they often manifest themselves in the way in which we sometimes snap at our children over something trivial, or the way we respond to something or someone that triggers a trauma from the past. It's these spikes in our hearts that the Holy Spirit wants us to first pay attention to in order to invite him in to bring about the healing in our hearts that we all so desperately need. As we read earlier, our emotions are a gift from God, not to be repressed, but to be processed with his Holy Spirit. I spoke to someone recently about these spikes in the heart, and she referred to them as an internal body blow. She said those words that are, that are spoken in conversation that cause an internal reaction. She said she's often quick to process with the Holy Spirit where that internal reaction came from. One of the ways I've found helpful is the spiritual practice of the daily examine, which is an opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit in and to reflect on those spikes that have occurred throughout the day. I've tried to adapt this prayer over the years, and I now try and process those spikes in my heart as they occur in real time. It might look different for you. It might be in your drive, on your drive into work or from work where it's quiet in the car. It might be in the shower. It might even be on the toilet. Whatever works for you. But the point here is that we must, must create space in our daily routines to invite the Holy Spirit into those spikes that are occurring in our hearts. The small groups team have put together a fantastic resource on the spiritual practice of the examine, as well as other spiritual practices. If you're serious about your discipleship to Jesus, and if you're serious about your spiritual formation, I would highly recommend you check out these resources because they literally have the potential to change your life and cause us to look more like Jesus from the inside out. And so as we enter into a time of ministry, we're going to grant God access into those hidden dimensions of our hearts. I'm going to read that section from Psalm 139 again over us, and we're going to invite his Holy Spirit to come. It might be if you're here in the auditorium or if you're watching online at home, you might want to close your eyes and open out your hands. And it might help to inhale and exhale deeply as we invite the presence of the Lord. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me 
in the way everlasting.